0: The second reading this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. <clears throat> there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Archaea were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action but I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be, for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. (laughs) You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing by which you have proved yourselves (laughs) others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for you their hearts will go out to you because of the unsurpassing grace of God has given you thanks be to God for his indescribable gift this is the word of the Lord
1: well friends it's my privilege to be able to open God's word with you again this morning as we've been through this series we've uh, faced a number of challenges and I fear to say we'll face some more challenges in what we hear from God's word this morning there is a sermon outline there I encourage you to take some notes as we work through it this morning the writer of Hebrews says this Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. These past weeks we've been taking time to think about some issues that are very close to home for us, these issues of money and wealth and possessions. The proverb says, give me neither poverty nor riches but only my daily bread. And in this series we've been reminded about kingdom priorities, to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. We've been reminded of the dangers of getting too comfortable, of the subtlety of greed and the need to be content, the dangers of wanting to get rich on one hand and then the other, the dangers of being rich. And we saw last week, we were told, for godliness with contentment is great gain. But the question we haven't addressed up till now is the $64 million question, how much? how much should I be giving away? Well, stay tuned. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll consider that question this morning. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the abundant life you've given to us. We again pray that as we turn to your word, your spirit would speak to our hearts. Help us to hear what you want us to hear, Lord, and help us to respond in faith, whatever that might mean for each of us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, as we consider the question of how much, I want us to consider that passage in 2 Corinthians uh, that Paul gives us. He gives us some terrific insights into this whole issue. And I want to go back a chapter to chapter 8 because he gives us two examples of generosity there. First of all, it's important to understand the background uh, to these two chapters. Uh, You may well know that Paul's written uh, a number of times to the church in Corinth and he's spoken about a variety of things and the church there has struggled with a lot of issues and moral failings. But in these chapters, he reminds them of a collection he is undertaking for the Christians back in Jerusalem. Uh, this process had begun a year or so earlier, uh, and the Corinthians had pledged to their support to uh, this earlier financial request for this mother church in Jerusalem, but they have sort of fallen behind, it seems. You might know that Corinth was a prosperous bustling and important trade centre. By comparison, the mother church back in Judea was facing a great many difficulties, both spiritual and material, but in particular, facing a number of economic hardships. So here was an opportunity for the churches in Asia Minor, and there's a little bit of a map up there, you probably can't see it very clearly, but that's what it is. And the churches in Asia Minor were given the opportunity to express their love and unity in a very tangible way uh, because the Corinthian church was Gentile while the Jerusalem church was largely Jewish, led by James, Jesus' half-brother. So in exhorting them to play their part in the collection for the saints, Paul gives two really compelling examples. The first one is those churches in Macedonia. Let's read a few verses from chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Well, what an incredible example. The Macedonian churches were not anywhere near as prosperous as Corinth, and this would have included Philippi and Thessalonica, and yet they gave generously, Paul tells us there, out of their poverty. See, these churches saw it as a privilege and a joy to give to the saints in need. They were poor, but rich in generosity. They gave not out of their surplus, but from their limited resources, sacrificially. And they begged, even pleaded, for the privilege to do so. It's interesting to note the use and meaning of the word grace in these verses. I don't know if you noticed it. But in verse 1, uh, it says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Then the literal translation of verse 4 says, "Then urgent, they urgently pleaded with us for the grace, is the word there. But We've got it as privilege in our translation in this service to the Lord's people. See, God gave them the grace or the gift of giving and they pleaded for the opportunity to express that grace in giving to others. Now, in many parts of the Roman Empire, the bulk of the urban population seems to have been fairly poor, probably, as one commentator says, due to high taxes, high rent and high prices for food. See, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that what's happening around us now? High taxes, high rent, high prices, what do you know? And yet, despite their difficult circumstances, circumstances which included persecution and poverty, they had an overwhelming joy and a passion to give as much as they could. And the only way to explain this humbling example is the gift of God's grace. The New Testament in various places, as you probably well know, provides lists of gifts that the Holy Spirit Gives to God's people. And what do you know? Generosity is on the list. And God had given them this gift and they longed to express it. I wonder, do you have the gift of generosity? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Have you ever prayed for the gift of God's grace, for the gift of generosity? It is possible to be generous in terms of uh, the time we use and give to others or in, in hospitality, but the gift here relates specifically to financial giving. I have to confess, I don't think I've ever met anyone who actively prays for the gift of generosity. If that's you, talk to me later. I'd be amazed. Why do you think that is? Why is that the case? Interesting, isn't it? Whichever way you look at it, the example of the Macedonian church is impressive. The second example that Paul points to is the Lord Jesus himself. And he says this, verse 9, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." When we know Jesus lived in heavenly splendour, rich in the glory and majesty of God and yet he became poor, taking on human flesh and he died in our place so that we, through the laying down of his life, might take up the eternal life that God offers to each of us through him so that we might be truly rich. Paul puts it so powerfully in Philippians chapter 2, some verses you might be familiar with, When speaking of Jesus he said, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The ultimate example of generosity is Jesus himself. We need look no further. Though rich beyond measure he became poor. The Macedonian churches, though poor, were happy to be even poorer so that others might benefit. And the key to their generosity was God's grace. Giving, grace and generosity all go hand in hand. Giving is an act of worship. It's not just something we do every now and again when we feel like it. It's meant to be part and parcel of living the transformed life of worship to God because of his saving grace in our lives. We, like the Corinthians, are not as poor as the Macedonians, but nor are we as rich as Jesus. However, both examples call upon us to respond to God's grace, which has been showered upon us through Christ The evidence of God's grace working in our lives is seen in our willingness to become poorer so that in giving generously to the work of the kingdom, others might become rich in every way, materially and spiritually. So let me ask you this, how willing are you and I to go without in order that others might be blessed? How willing are you and I to have less so that others might have more? Paul says in uh, chapter 8, verse 13, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What does Paul mean by suggesting a need for equality? That's certainly a loaded word in our community today. Well, you'll be pleased to know that Paul is not advocating a new form of Marxism or a return to communism. Phew, you're thinking. However, he is suggesting that we give out of our abundance, not so that everyone has exactly the same, but so that there might be equality of opportunity and equality of willingness relative to different people's levels of wealth. So to put it another way, He wanted the Corinthians to give their fair share out of their abundance and support the collection of all the churches so that there might be a quality in proportion to what each church and its individual members already had. So both the Macedonian churches and the Lord Jesus provide us with an enormous challenge and a model for giving we would do well to follow. But having given us those two examples there in chapter 8, Paul, as we turn to chapter 9, gives us some principles for generosity. The first one is drawn from the world of farming and agriculture. Verse 6, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, Paul's point is fairly obvious, isn't it? I mean, if you only sow a handful of seeds, well, you're not going to get much of a harvest. But the farmer who in faith sows widely and generously, trusting in God's provision for rain, well, they reap bountifully in due course. Trust in God's provision is essential for the farmer who sows generously and so it is for the Christian who gives generously. Trusting in God's provision. And the promise is that to give generously will reap generously for the work of the kingdom. Now, unfortunately, down through time and ages, there have been advocates, which we call people who preach a gospel called the prosperity gospel, and they totally misunderstand these sorts of verses and the blessings that God really wants to pour out on us. The prosperity preachers say that you'll get riches, more earthly wealth if you are generous, as a reward for being generous when in reality Paul says nothing of the sort for the apostle the application of this principle and what Christians should expect is that they should expect their growth morally and spiritually that's the blessing that's going to be poured out on us not material and earthly wealth and the text tells us that very clearly in verse 8 he says, you will abound in every good deed. Then in verse 10, we are told God will increase the harvest of our righteousness. See, Paul is unashamed in saying we should give generously. And the result, we will enjoy an abundance of God's blessing, yes, in our growth in righteousness. So giving generously is indicative of a heart that recognises that all we have belongs to the Lord, that we are merely custodians. We may be doing something very material and practical in our generous giving, but the blessings that will flow are bountiful and spiritual in nature as our faith is stretched. So whichever way you read these chapters, I want to say it's inescapable that our giving is to be generous Because of God's generous and gracious provision for us in everything, but particularly in Christ. Secondly, he tells us that our our giving is to be from the heart. He says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why do you think God loves a cheerful giver? Is he just like happy people as opposed to grumpy people? Why does God love a cheerful giver? Well, let me suggest God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver himself who recognized our poverty and graciously and willingly, without reluctance, supplied our greatest need in Christ. And so our giving is meant to emulate God's to us. And God gave liberally without hesitation. Or reluctance. A cheerful giver gives out of the overflow of the joy of their hearts, and so they are content and thankful. They recognize a need and they can't help but give as they are convicted by God's Spirit. On the other hand, giving reluctantly is like giving a Christmas present to someone and then telling them how much it cost you. Or even worse, you give them the Christmas present and you tell them you wish you had one as good as that yourself. Anyone had that experience? I have. Wow, poor me, eh? Paul says our giving should be generous, it should be cheerful, and he also says it should provide proof about something. Look what he goes on to say. He says, because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience of, That accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. See in Paul's mind the giving by the Corinthian church would be proof of their unity with the church in Jerusalem. It would also be proof that they share in the common grace of the gospel, a gospel which calls Jews and Gentiles to deny themselves in taking up their cross and following the example of Jesus. And as far as Paul is concerned The giving of one's financial resources is a litmus test for the reality of one's salvation. Now there's a thought, let me say it again. As far as Paul is concerned, the giving of one's financial resources is a litmus test for the reality of one's salvation. Back in chapter 8, verse 24, he says, Therefore show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that churches can see it. So not only does generous and cheerful giving provide tangible evidence for the reality of God's grace in our life, it also results in praise and thanksgiving to God. Look what Paul goes on to say. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. See, glory and honour to God is the ultimate result of faithful, generous, and cheerful giving. What a joy to know that when we give like this, it not only reaches into the lives of others in a very powerful way, but it also reaches to heaven in the praises and thanksgiving that is offered to God. I mean, when you think about it like that, who wouldn't want to be a generous, cheerful giver when it has the potential to accomplish so much? Well, we've considered the two examples of generosity in Jesus and the Macedonian churches. We've seen that Christians should give generously and cheerfully as a demonstration of the reality of their understanding of the gospel and of their salvation and it demonstrates this transformed heart. So now we turn to the practical implications for us and that $64 million question, well, okay, how much should I give? It's a puzzling question, isn't it? Well, the answer you've been waiting for is this, you should give everything. Hard to believe, isn't it, that that's the answer you've been waiting for? That's right, we should give everything to the Lord. When you understand the Gospel and the grace of God offered to us in Christ, you give God everything. That's the key to the Christian life. We were slaves to sin, but we've become slaves to Christ. Slaves own nothing. Everything belongs to the Master. When we give our lives to Jesus, and I hope you've done that, we give him our very souls. But also we give him our future, We give him our wives, our husbands, our children, our grandchildren, our careers, our hopes and our dreams, our everything, including our share portfolio, our bank balances and our superannuation fund. And we give it all because we have recognised we have no right to rule and that Jesus is King and it all belongs to him. So if that is the case, the question we should really ask of ourselves is this, how much should I keep for me? If we ever hope to be faithful and generous, cheerful givers, we need to recognise that all we have comes from God and we are simply trustees of an estate that he's given to us for a while. As you know, trustees are called upon to distribute the assets of the estate for the beneficiaries. Beneficiaries. The trustee, I'm told, is allowed to cover some costs from the estate but not to indulge themselves on it to the detriment of the beneficiaries. Friends, we all know that simply by living in Australia, let alone Mossman, God has given us much. We are vastly wealthy and he watches to see how trustworthy we are with the riches he has generously bestowed on us. Being a wealthy or rich Christian, I'm sure you'll agree, is an extraordinary blessing. But I also want to say it carries a significant burden if we take God's Word seriously. Because I think we need to regularly search our hearts and ask ourselves a couple of questions like this. Are you, am I, a faithful trustee or a self-indulgent trustee? Are you, am I, giving generously Or are we ripping off the beneficiaries? I don't know if you noticed in that Malachi reading, it talked about robbing God. It was pretty pointed. The question shouldn't be how much should I give because that presumes it's ours. The right question is how much should I keep? How much is reasonable and fair? See, if God helps us to get that right then I suspect we'll be a lot closer to working out what generosity really looks like. For some time, there have been a group of Christians who have answered that question of how much should I keep by adopting the idea of what is called a graduated tithe. Now, down through the years, Christians have talked about tithing as a model for giving. It's particularly prominent in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm not going to talk about these, but there's basically three types, uh, and uh, that's where we get our 10% idea from. But if you added up all the tithes in the Old Testament, it would come to something like 23% of your income. Well, that would give us a heart attack, wouldn't it? Oh my goodness. See, that's well above the average giving levels that uh, recent research suggests amongst Christians, where the average giving is about 2.5%. Well, that's a massive difference, isn't it? Well, let me offer you some encouragement at this point. If you struggle with feeling guilty about not reaching that magical 10% figure in your giving, then feel guilty no more. Because I do not believe the 10% tithe is biblical. I can find no evidence for it in the New Testament. What a relief I hear you say. Glad I came after all. Well, maybe. Don't misunderstand me. Tithing is biblical. But I do not believe 10% is the biblical mandate. The biblical mandate is what we've been seeing in recent weeks and that is to not be greedy, to seek God's kingdom first and foremost, of being content with what you have and of being cheerful and generous in your giving. The idea of a graduated tithe simply means that the higher level your income is, the more you should give. For perhaps a small number of us, giving 10% would put us on the street. If that's you, then don't even contemplate anything like that. However, for many of us, it's fair to say 10% is nowhere near enough. Can I gently suggest that the primary issue for most of us isn't our income, it's our spending habits, our lifestyle expectations. We've got the money, we've got the financial resources to give generously. But it may be that we've just overcommitted to spending it on ourselves. And we need to work towards changing that if that is indeed the case. We've been promoting a book in recent weeks called Radical by a guy called David Platt. And here's a quote from it. And he says this We are settling for a Christianity that ro- revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. There is never going to be a day when I stand before God and he looks at me and says, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. That's so true, isn't it? Glaringly obvious. The graduated tithe would seem to be a very biblical and helpful way for us to think about sharing what God has given to us. This issue of how much we give or how much we keep is going to be a real, very real issue for us as a church community in the coming months. Uh, We told you that on the 18th of uh, June we're going to have a presentation showing you where we've got up to with our property redevelopment plans. Uh, You're going to see some concept drawings that we've come up with uh, which will help you visualise what's possible and from what I've seen it looks absolutely terrific. The parish council has some preliminary figures in terms of what it might cost and all I can tell you is it won't be cheap. It's going to cost Millions of dollars. As I said, from what I've seen, it looks very exciting and when you see it, I hope you'll feel the same and you can give your feedback on it. But we will all have to face the decision of how much we are willing to contribute to the project in a very tangible way. As I said, I think it's a wonderful project, a lot of work's gone into it and I also believe that we have the funds to make it happen. It's just a matter of whether we're willing to give them. When I think of my own life and what I spend on myself, you know, I, very quickly a couple of th- things came to mind. Oh, there's the golf membership, there's eating out and takeaway, there's an odd glass of wine here or there, there's travel and holidays, not to mention the pigeons. Don't mention the pigeons. It all adds up, doesn't it? Friends, by worldly standards, we are vastly wealthy, According to a recent article based on millionaires and billionaires uh, that uh, someone passed on to me, uh, Sydney was the, is the 10th richest city in the world. You might not be able to see that very well, but there's a, a numbers up there showing millionaires and billionaires uh, in cities and Sydney comes in number 10. And according to another survey based on gross domestic product per head of population, Australia is ranked as the third richest country in the world, behind Monaco and Switzerland. Now, in that same article, it suggested that to be in the top 1% in terms of net wealth in Australia, you would need $8 million. But it changes. If you want to be in the top 1% of the population in India, you only need 264,000. In the Philippines, only 86,000. In Kenya, a mere 30,000. How about that? Anyone moving to Kenya? I don't think so. See, if we're going to have any chance of being the generous and cheerful givers, I know that we want to be and good stewards of all that God has blessed us with, then it seems to me there are three truths that we've got to keep coming back to to allow to transform our hearts, and I want to close with these briefly. The first is we've got to keep remembering it all belongs to God. It's not ours, and I think that's probably the greatest struggle for most of us. When we think it's ours, any time we give something away reluctantly, there's a sense of loss and uh, of diminished resources and somehow feeling less. I don't know if you've felt like that lately. But imagine if someone came up to you and said, look, I'm going to give you $5 million. Sorry, you can't keep it for yourself, but I want you to give it to whatever charity or organisation you would like to. You can give it to 10 charities or five or whatever. you. Do. $5 million, you can give it away as you please. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, how good would that be? I'd love to be able to do that. You see, that's how it's meant to be with our giving. But it's only possible when we recognise it isn't ours in the first place. It all belongs to God. Secondly, as we've seen, if our hearts are to be transformed, then we must keep coming back to the example of Jesus Christ. As we saw, this is at the heart of the Apostle's exhortation to the Corinthians when he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Friends, when we consider all that Jesus has given to us, unworthy though we be, how can we not be generous and cheerful givers? It dishonours our Saviour when we are not. And then finally, as we noted a few weeks ago, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. If our focus is on heavenly treasure, the only treasure that lasts, the only treasure that outlives time, then perhaps we might become like those Macedonian churches who pleaded for the opportunity to exercise the gracious gift of giving. As Paul said, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. A lot of alls there, did you notice? God covers it all. Friends, if you have found God's word challenging this morning, please be assured, so have I. I've been wrestling with this for some time. We are called to respond in faith and obedience and that will be different for all of us. But that's how God wants us to respond, what that will mean practically I want to leave you with another quote from uh, that book Radical and David Plant and this is what he says, A materialistic world is not to be won to Christ by a materialistic church. Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things but in the end such risk finds its reward in Christ And he is more than enough for us. Is he not? Of course he is. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your love and concern for us, all the small details of our lives and the big ones as well. Thank you for your bountiful provision for us materially and spiritually. Lord, thank you for this lovely place where we live and all the things we have. Lord, we do want to have that generous, cheerful, giving heart that shows we are truly being transformed by your word and spirit. So Lord, help each one of us to continue to ponder these things. Help us to search our hearts honestly and show us what we need to do, Lord, that we might respond in faith and obedience for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.